From Calvary Church of Santa Ana, this is the Calvary Life Podcast, the show where we share stories, laugh together, and have discussions about faith, life, and God with people from Calvary Church. Here are your hosts, Eric and Matt. All right, welcome to the Calvary Life Podcast. This is a bonus episode this week that we are looking forward to. I'm here with Matt Doan, as always. Matt Doan, how are you right now? Doing well, Eric. Yeah, this is a bonus for our listener or listeners. Yeah, well, we found out that we actually do have listeners. It doesn't mean it's more than 10, but it's at least more than one. (laughs) So thanks to all of you uh, tuning in today. That's right. And we are here with Bob Shank. How are you doing, Bob? I'm well. Awesome. It is great. Great to have you. Um, we're going to talk here today about this topic of generosity, about a um, little bit about some of the, like the when he preached about, um, at least as we're recording this a week and a half ago, something like that, and um, really get into this topic because it's a challenging one for everyone. And I think it's one that can get kind of... Uh, I think actually, honestly, I think a lot of us get our defenses up so much when you start hearing about this topic that you're ready to sort of try to dismiss the message with anything possible. And so, hey, we're just here to try to like clear, um, you know, make that clear for everyone. Yeah. And the topic meaning is generosity and the idea that, okay, we're, we can preach about it, but it's also helpful to process it once we've preached about it. So that's what today's about processing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, Bob, I know for you, this has been like a topic for you that you have really spent your life studying and knowing about preaching about you travel around the country talking about this very topic all the time. Right. And, um, so this matters to you. Has that right. If I could say that this has been a topic that's really important to you. I, um, I've discovered that it is, um, part of my life mission catalog of topics. It's not Mm. the only thing I talk about. But it's one of the most targeted uh, elements of my messaging by virtue of my um, primary ministry target audience yeah, and the opportunities that are afforded me. Steve Douglas, the former president of Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, told me in a conversation between him and Paul Eshelman and Bruce Wilkinson and me, the four of us sitting at a table, Steve said, and this was five years ago, said that he knew that I had been instrumental in releasing hundreds of millions of dollars into the kingdom, yeah. just in environments that he had been part of, that I had been participative in. And uh, part of the measure of my ministry over the last tw- uh, quarter century has been in helping folks that God has entrusted with much know how to send it into the places where the greatest leverage and impact for the eternal kingdom could be possible. Yeah. And so um, without it necessarily having been my intent from the beginning, by virtue of the demographic that I serve, yeah, it's a subject that had to be part of the core curriculum. And as practiced in my master's program audiences and beyond – Um, It's a place where God has allowed me to see a pretty measurable kingdom impact Mm -hmm. that has resulted in a global um, outcome for um, the faith in our generation. Yeah, that's cool. Because I think the the, the master's program, like who you're talking with, are people who have been successful in the career space of their life. And then now they're recognizing, oh, 
there should be something more, right? And so you're helping them find the significance portion, if I could. I, I would say that that's accurate, but insufficient to say that people who have already experienced success or are likely to okay. in their days ahead. Yeah. Um, it's not just folks who are um, coming down from the peak, but we serve people who are on their way to mm-hmm. discovering their uh, greatest levels of impact in terms of what they'll do in their career lifetimes, helping them to figure out before they get there mm-hmm. um, how to do it without sacrificing the things that are more important in terms of themselves and their families. Yeah. But also helping them to realize that accomplishing that with a greater purpose than simply um, hitting some numbers and achieving some trophy moments, but Hmm. seeing that as a pathway to a kingdom opportunity for the rest of their lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. That could have otherwise easily been missed. Yeah. Now, a lot of us in ministry, and I'll even say to my shame, back away when it comes to talking about finances, money, generosity. What about your personality or giftings has called you just to say, no, I, I feel comfortable. I can step into this. Is it maybe your background? Is it just specific calling you had in a moment in your life? Good questions, Matt. Um, it began really as a young businessman. Um, and for 15 years, my career had me in the for-profit arena, and I was very successful in that arena. And I was invited to a lot of ministry uh, events. N- no small part of that was the fact that I was perceived to be a potential donor. And um, my snide which, which, by the way, is in my DNA. Snide, unfortunately, is part of sort of my makeup. But my snide comment looking back was that I was often made to feel like a checkbook with legs. That mm-hmm. um, if I wasn't coming with an openness to give, that my reason for being there might have been misunderstood. Mm-hmm. So I really, I mean, from the early on, um, I, I knew that there was some correlation to, as a businessman, achieving some level of success and what that meant in terms of the kingdom. But it never really unlocked the full potential of what I was about until I began to um, speak into the lives of business people um, from a ministry vantage point. Um, my decision to go from for-profit to non-profit career was founded really on a conversation that I had, a day-long conversation with Chuck Swindoll, when Chuck said to me that I was I could be more effective with my peer group as a sub-tribe, if you will, within the American um, community. Mm-hmm. Chuck said, you're more effective with them than I am because mm-hmm. you speak their language and I don't. Mm-hmm. You come from where they come from and I've never been there. Well, I I appreciated and God used Chuck's voice to tell me that um, while I certainly could never compare myself to him in terms of the ability to do all the things God's gifted him to do, there was a very specific um, niche within the um, American population with whom I had sort of an indigenous identity. Yeah. I, I knew where they came from. Um, I understood what they were talking about. Their strengths, their temptations, weaknesses, all that. And I knew 
the the wrestling match that they had when they began to acquire more than the people that worked for them or alongside them or more than their fathers had before them. Uh, all of those things leave them in a place where they need some counsel and advice, but they need it from somebody that they could hear as objective and lacking an agenda. Mm-hmm. Because too often the enemy is whispering in the sub- subconscious of our, our, our thinking that um, all they want is your money or look out, there's a caution up. Uh, it doesn't take much to get us just off the bubble a little bit in terms of God being able to get through to us. But we've heard it a lot that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about any other single subject. Well, that's ex- that's extending an understanding of the red letter parts a little bit. He used financial realities to portray spiritual truths, mm-hmm. which the folks that want to argue for a lot of talk about money <laughs> will uh, cite. But it was because he was speaking in the marketplace, not in the temple. It's because he was grabbing people when their minds were on transactional, professional issues. And so he caught them in the midst of what they were otherwise doing and thinking and said, let me help you think about that, but on a larger context and pulling the principles from what you know about what you're doing for money. And let me bring it into your consideration of what you're doing for meaning. Mm -hmm. Because many of those principles transfer. Many of those that you already are comfortable with are the very same principles that drive the way the spiritual realities operate in God's domain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, many of the parables were constructed using a comfort level with what it means that a man's going away on a journey and calls his uh, his employees to him and gives one of them $5 million and one of them $2 million and one of them $1 million and says, manage this for my benefit while I'm gone. I'll check with you when I get back to see how you did. Well, that's a conversation that um, his listeners were ready to hear. But there was a spiritual truth behind that, and it has value in its literal uh, application, but it also has value in terms of its spiritual meaning. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus talked about money a lot because we talk about money a lot. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, we're more willing to hear godless people who deny eternity tell us about money right. than we are about people who know the God of eternity. And here, here's one. I, I grew up in, a, the, in the evangelical world that we all three of us grew up in. And um, one of the things that I always heard was the only thing, only two things last forever, God's word and men's souls. Well, I would come back to that and say, um, based on the scriptures, I would say that um, it's uh, inclusive, but not exclusive. God's word lasts forever. Men's souls last forever. So does money. Hmm. Wow. When you say that, um, it sounds like um, you're in, in sacrilege immediately. But in Luke, Jesus says, um, sell what you have, give the money to the poor, provide purses for yourselves in heaven, a treasure that will never be exhausted. Well, um, all of a sudden, Jesus says that you can take money here and by putting it where God wants it to go, you'll have money there and that money will never run out. That to me says forever is forever. And so it lasts forever. 
it's a shocking thing for Christians to think that there is some kind of eternal currency and our acquisition of our management of that eternal currency is based on what we do with the temporary dollars that we've been entrusted here. That if you've been given little, you'll made made ruler over much. And the time frame for that promise is not temporal. It's not this lifetime only. Mm-hmm. It may be little that we've been given in this lifetime to be dealing with. But it doesn't mean that we won't be made ruler over much in the same way that the parable of the talents says. Yeah, yeah. Show me what you've done thus far. Yeah. And I'll give you more to deal with later. Yeah. Yeah, that's where, because I think sometimes some people think if somebody's talking about these stories of, oh, this person was able to give millions of dollars or a million dollars, that that's better than the person that gave you know, $30 because they only had a hundred. We think in terms of quantity, (laughs) God thinks in terms of quality and the quality means how much did I sacrifice? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, um, the, the problem that we have is that we've been given so much that it's hard to get to the point where we sacrifice something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's where the woman, the, the, you know, the woman that they're built naming buildings after in eternity, I gave two (laughs) pennies because it's all she had. And so, um, we just got to get away from the quantity issue and get to the quality issue and ask, two, uh, have I done it in faith, meaning I gave before I got? First fruits, not last fruits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And second, um, was there some sacrifice involved mm-hmm. at the end of the day? Well, it's possible to tithe, which is the first 10% that I give. It's possible to tithe and not be sacrificing. Mm-hmm. God may have entrusted we, me with so much that I have to give beyond the tithe to get into the sacrifice. Right. We compared a tithe to the M- NBA players getting a fine of $40,000 for doing <laughs> something wrong for some, for super, super, you know, for wealthy people or whatever. A Might tithe could be that. be a sacrifice. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and there's an, we talked a little bit before we started pushing play on this or yeah. record on this, but the, the idea that um, we always say, oh, well, eventually I'll sacrifice. You know, let me just get rid of my student debt or let me uh, – and again, we're not saying hold on to student debt. But we're saying, oh, now is the time. Do it now wherever you're at, whether it's $10 or whatever. Don't wait till the next period. And that could be with our time too or our talents. There's kind of this mentality that I think I have and a lot of us have of oh, in 10 years I'll be able to do this, right? Yeah. Boy, um, you're – your your short question is rich with uh, deep conversations. Um, a report just issued by Barna in the last 30 days says that they measured people who gave time and people who gave money, and they found that they're the same people. Mm-hmm. That um, sometimes we um, give ourselves a pass on the financial giving by saying we're giving time instead. Well, there's no evidence to portray the fact that um, time is available if money isn't, that people who are invested where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So we're most likely to give everything we are to God or nothing at all. And too soon, too often, I'm afraid that we feel like we can find um, loopholes in God's bigger plan that will allow us accommodation for our unwillingness to act in faith that uh, at the moment that I don't have time is the time when I should be giving my time most generously because God is able to um, represent me in the places where I thought my time was needed if I've 
been in the place where he's called me into service first. Same thing's true with regard to giving. If I wait until I can afford to give beyond my wants, I'll never give. Right. Mm-hmm. If I give before I even meet my needs, that's first fruits. That's by faith. That's um, believing God that he will follow through. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the in my life experience, and coming back to what you said, um, we've always been tithers from the first days of our married life together. And um, there was only one crisis point in my um, adult life with regard to the my income horizon. Uh, I'll be tentative about the way I say this. <laughs> I've only been fired once in my lifetime, and it was about 25 years ago. And it came at an unexpected time, and I had no provisions, no... Um, alternatives um, in play in the possibility that um, things might go awry. And uh, um, there was a countdown clock Hmm. in terms of um, my resources being sufficient to keep us going. Sherry and I looked at one another when um, my unexpected um, departure from that position occurred and said, boy, if there was ever a time when we needed God on our sides, it's like right now. Right. And so our decision was to double our giving. Mm. And now I, I was on a, I had a severance horizon that was very short mm-hmm. and was counting down. And we said from that, we were already more than tithing, but we doubled our giving at that mm. point and said, if there was ever a time that we needed God to show up, it's now. Mm. And, um, uh, um, we didn't tell anybody that at the time. In fact, I think that's the first time I've told anybody wow. that. And uh, and God showed up. And um, mm-hmm. by the time the last of the severance that um, came with my uh, departure uh, occurred, God had res- re- restored the income flow for us. Wow. And um, we didn't have to do anything that was um, overly dramatic or draconian. Wow. But it was a test for us, mm-hmm. and it's 25 years later, so the um, um, the players involved have passed on. But the, the, the experience for us, we mm-hmm. tested God, and it's the only place in the Bible where mm-hmm. God says, test me, mm-hmm. see if you can trust me. We yeah. tested him then. Hmm. Yeah, it's emotional thinking about God's faithfulness to mm-hmm. that. Now, were you and Sherry... Did you have to wrestle with that? Did it feel like both of you came to the decision at the same time? Because I know a lot of us that are married, sometimes one spouse has a inkling <laughs> to do something and the other doesn't. Uh, do you remember those days? Or? I suggested it, and she agreed immediately. Wow. And um, my wife is a, a great leader in her own right, and mm-hmm. she's not without her own opinions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of um, things I suggest get... Um, talk through um, with a lot of back and forth before we reach a joint conclusion. This was one that didn't take any time at all. So we've lived it, and um, I I made a comment at the end of the message a couple weeks ago that um, with, and I'll just say this, um, um, my bedside manner lacked some two weeks ago. I uh, 
if it, one nice thing about having multiple services is um, you can learn from your Saturday night service before you um, re-present on Sunday. Um, I didn't have that two weeks ago, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things I mentioned was that um, uh, 17 years ago, I was speaking at a conference where we were challenging people to make dramatic commitments to the Great Commission financially. And um, I was in concert with that message with the couple hundred people that were there. But I felt myself um, envying them because I wanted to be able to give to that level. But um, God had pulled me out of the income production world of for-profit and put me in the ministry world. And, and I'm looking at asking people to make a commitment of a million dollars before they died to the Great Commission, thinking, man, how come them and not me? And I said, I mean, while they were making commitments, I'm privately back of the room, I mean, I'm, I'm one of the guys challenging them. And I said, God, if you'd make it possible, we'd like to do that too. A few years later, um, without a long-term intent, um, we just took some of the money that we had in mind for um, providing for us in retirement and put it into some uh, higher-risk environments with some friends who were in for-profit business that I trusted and who are like family. And over the course of the next few years, God blessed that, and not from making money in ministry, because there's not much money to be made in ministry unless you have a TV <laughs> program and want to raise money for a jet. <laughs> there it is, snide Bob again. No. But, um, but God's allowed us, um, I mean, we're on our third round of that, mm-hmm. of that dream, mm-hmm. and um, I've, I've seen God allow us to model what we challenge others to do because we believe that God finds those whom he knows have made. I mean, I, we ran the video of Francis Chan mm-hmm. and, you know, I had some folks afterwards who say, who's this Francis Chan guy? <laughs> Nobody's famous to everybody. I know, right, but that's true. <laughs> there's Francis who, before he wrote Crazy Love, said, before I risk becoming rich, I'm going to go ahead and dedicate the royalties from that book to God. And uh, so I don't get off on, you know, is he selling books so he can, you know, buy a boat? Well, uh, all of a sudden it makes boodles of money from the book, but it went to the kingdom. I mean, I've been with Francis on multiple occasions. I didn't spend a day in his home with him and Lisa. They're, they're real deal people. Mm-hmm. Who would ever imagine that a guy who walked away from the church that he pastored, founded and pastored, you walked away from it into the uncertainty of how in the world can you guarantee that you're going to be able to feed your family? But in the face of that, giving up the royalties on a book that, and now it could be argued, did the book make a million dollars because um, it was a great book or did it make a million dollars because God chose to favor it because... Um, Francis and Lisa had already determined where the proceeds were going to go. Mm-hmm. I'll say we ask God when you see him. We right. can't know between now and then. But I believe that God finds those whom he can trust and then chooses 
to route his funding through them in ways that he has the right to do as he sees fit. And I want to be one of those people. Mm-hmm. I, I want him to know that um, there's nothing more I want. There's nothing more I need. Mm-hmm. There's um, uh, I. I want to be more excited about ministry that we're able to see happen than I would be about um, things that I use twice a year that I think make Amen. me. Amen. And this is so encouraging for your, your testimony of 25 years ago saying, okay, Lord, we trust you with our finances. We're going to give Francis a story, what you've just shared. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, the video. I think for me and I mean for Eric I and mean, who knows who else is in ministry listening to this, that's so encouraging because there's a part of us that says, oh, it's, you know, giving generosity is for the Bill Gates of the world, uh, even in a Christian world. Um, and the people in ministry, oh, we're kind of off the hooks. We don't we live month to month. And no, but we're all called no matter if we're a college student, high school student or a, a retired CEO. We're called to be generous with the with what God has given us. And, that just speaks to me as a guy in ministry because often there's a little thing in the back of my head saying, oh, that's for other people. It's for the people that are successful financially. But it's, among, it's all of us, right? Among the adults in our family, um, and when I say our family, Sherry and I are Gen 1 and we have Gen 2 and Gen 3. Mm-hmm. But among the, um, among the um, adults, Gen 1 and Gen 2 in our family, the majority are in ministry. But um, we've talked as a family, 12 of us at the table, about if we had a family crypt at Fairhaven, not at Pacific Hills, um, if we had a family crypt, what would we want on the crypt? And we've said we want uh, gratitude and generosity to be on the crypt Mm, because um, if you don't have generosity, you can't – if you don't have gratitude, you'll never have the ability to fully experience generosity. Gratitude says, um, I'm not self-made. Anything that I have isn't because I'm smarter than you or better than you or I'm more blessed by God than you. Gratitude says it's all from God. It all belongs to him. And it all will be all will be managed as accountable to him. Hmm. And if I have that, then I can genuinely practice gratitude. Or uh, uh, generosity. That um, we want that to be our family legacy. And um, there's no, there, you, you can't, you can't start too early with that. The first, you know, moms and dads like to fight about whether the kid's first word were mama or dada. Uh, unfortunately, in a fallen world with original sin, which I believe in and practice. Um, <laughs> but the first word is mine. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's exactly. so true. And, and we want to fight that. We, yeah. we want to say his. Oh, that's yeah, good. that's really good. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Um, yeah, I think uh, this, all this stuff is, is so good for all of us. I think even when you think about younger people, it's almost easier. Like I want to commit, like really encourage them to start now. Cause if you start this as a pattern of how you establish your life, you're not having to completely go back and then change something or the struggle of, Oh, what do I cut now? Or how do I do this? Like what if you're not in it, mm-hmm. but anybody can take 
if you're young, start now because it's like, hey, you can establish a pattern of life that will be in this. And then even if you're old and older and you've, you're not giving in this way, mm. you can take take some incremental steps. You might not be able to go zero to 10 and <laughs> so to speak, or zero mm. to over 10%, let's say in, in one month span, but like just start, start now 1%, 2%, 3%, work your way. I was even talking to Michael Wells this week about how this whole area of giving and generosity is so interesting because it's an area that you can tangibly make a, a, a change in where sometimes it's like, we feel like, Oh, how, how do I avoid sin or how do I, you know, to try to do this, sometimes it's ambiguous feeling, but this is actually a tangible way you can really take these kind of these action yeah. steps. All right. Uh, there are three of us behind the microphones, but are going to, are you going to mention the elephant that's in the room? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, we want to, yeah, I know we got, we, I do. I wanted to move us even towards that. Cause I was actually thinking about, first of all, how you were, um, when you talk about master's program, the audience you speak to normally, and it's, you know, these people that are kind of like business world, mostly men, um, mostly successful. And what I love actually about master's programs, you don't just talk to them about this kind of this stuff. We're, we're just happen to be talking about generosity. I mean, you're talking about how to have great success in their family life, their marriage. Um, I think some of the, some of my favorite stuff I learned in master's program was how to be a good father. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's also all sorts of, physical health, other areas of life. Um, but, um, in this one we're talking about, and so you're used to talking to a certain audience and sometimes that audience needs a, is comfortable with and needs kind of to get hit between the eyes with it. Well, we've even yeah. called it like locker room talk in, in yeah. a good way. Yeah. And so I know that's just where, and maybe like even some of our younger generation or others in the room you know, on Sunday are kind of like, Oh, we're not used to getting, have, you know, having that. And so I know you were speaking about bedside manner. So even just to talk about that for a second. Sure. Um, I'm, I, I had about a 40 hour message two weeks ago that I tried to do in 35 minutes. <laughs> and, um, there are, um, some real risks involved mm -hmm. when you do that. Um, taking the Malachi three passage. Yeah. Um, I made the comment that, um, if you're not tithing, God won't hear your prayers. Yeah, Boy, um, that's, that's like a tabloid headline to draw, grab your attention. I mean, the queen's pregnant. I mean, uh, uh, there, there are some lines that just scream at you and um, distract you from what else you're thinking. I, I, I need to just deepen that to say that the passage in Malachi, basically God said, you're under a curse and the curse means that you're having economic difficulties. Your farms are not producing. You've got a pestilence that's moving in and eating your um, your crops. Your uh, vines are ripening before you had harvesters there. And so they're falling on the ground and they're becoming spoiled. And you think that's because of global warming. It's not. It's because um, you're under a curse. I want you to be under blessing. Hmm. But you can't. Pray that I will withdraw the consequences of your disobedience. You have to obey. You can't pray. Well, there are moments in my life, and I need to base this on Scripture, but there are moments in my life when the conditions that I'm under are consequences of behavior that is in my power to change. Mm -hmm. And what God was saying through Malachi was, 
the conditions that you're suffering from, I will guarantee you, you'll continue to suffer from until you change your behavior. The behavior I'm looking for is that um, what I've told you from the beginning, and I'm not going to change my position because the passage begins with, I'm the Lord your God, do not change. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, you, you're, you're guilty of stealing. And so he linked it to the, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal. You're stealing from God when you don't give the first fruits. So my comment was needed very uh, – I needed two minutes to give clarity to say that there are times when our prayers are hindered. Mm -hmm. And it's a biblical concept that goes through Old and New Testaments alike. There are consequential moments where God says, if then. If Mm -hmm. you'll do this, then I'll do that. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, if you do the wrong thing, I'm going to do this and it's going to be – it's like us as parents say, if you do that one more time, you're going to bed without dinner. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, is it because we want to starve our kids? No, it's because we want to get our kids doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, it was a right. It was a biblical truth that was misrepresented in my fast flash past it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I need to be very aware of the fact that sometimes the things that I'm praying that God will remove from me are of my own doing, and I need to ask. Is this a consequence of a decision that I've made and acted on that needs to be challenged and changed? And if so, mm-hmm. I can expect that God will restore his blessing and withdraw his curse. Mm-hmm. We don't like to think in terms of God cursing because um, it sounds so medieval, but I've come to understand that God desires to bless his children, his family. But when his family disavows the conditions under which that blessing has been offered, to not fulfill the blessing is to retract it, and the retracted blessing is experienced as a curse. Mm-hmm. A curse is when I God could have done something positive, but he chose not to. Hmm. And because of that, I experienced the deficiency of God's provision. And for me... That's a curse. And so I want to eliminate anything in my life that is inhibiting, one, uh, God blessing my life, and two, God hearing my prayers. And when I say hear, it doesn't mean that that God's tone deaf. It means he's not going to respond. Right. What I'm asking for, I'm not going to receive. Right. And, um, And that's a principle that I need to understand as God portrays it in scripture. It's not my logic that takes me there because my logic says I'm a wonderfully lovable person and God ought to give me everything without any obligation on my part. Yeah. Yeah. But so many of the promises of God are if then commitments and they, they require that I step out in faith and do, if you seek me, then you will find me. Yeah. Well, I got to seek before I can find. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good because it, this is an area where I think we, a lot of people, can say, like, no, 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 God doesn't work if then God doesn't yeah, that 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 will be response, which I can understand, and there's some reasons why people might even think that, and it's like because you have to understand that first of all, what you're saying is is that you aren't out of God's. Um, grace <laughs> you know his grace not, saves us yes exactly. but our relationship yes. is now based on how much of god do i want to see in my life right right um 
if we confess our sins, then he is faithful to forgive us our sins. We embrace if then constantly as it regards things that we are ready to act on. Yeah. But then we come to the places where we aren't yet ready to act on right. it. And we say, let's make those things come under the umbrella of grace rather mm-hmm. than God's um, informed promises that say, yeah. if you want this, this is how you get it. Right, right. Because there's eternal consequences of hell and things like that that we think about. And that's not what this is talking no. about, temporal, physical consequences yes. of of decisions we make. That we can't just be in unrepentant sin about maybe any topic and then expect that to have just in complete unrepentant sin about our sexuality and expecting God to bless that, right? And, like, or, and, or whatever that could be. And Eric, you, you, as a, you guys with pastor's hearts recognize that when you see people suffering under conditions, the first thing we always assume is it's in, in ignorance. They're operating in ignorance. Yeah, yeah. They don't know what God expects. Yeah. And so our job is to inform them uh, to be teachers who acquaint them with God's expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing more dangerous now than to be informed because the one, <laughs> you know, James four seventeen, the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it to him, it's sin. Yeah. Before they could claim ignorance. I didn't know God expected other than that. Yeah. Our job in um, the leadership responsibility of teaching is to make sure that people understand God's parameters, his boundaries. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's a promise of um, him uh, responding to our obedience with um, his assurance and affirmation and provision in ways that we could have never acquired on our own mm-hmm. apart from him. Yeah. Let me let me just even read a few of these because I want people to understand, too, that when you are saying this stuff, like when you're saying what you're saying about God doesn't respond to our prayers or which was shorthanded as God doesn't hear our prayers, which I, I totally understand mm-hmm. like what your intent was. No. And that's that's good. And that's the only reason why we want to clarify, because I I know you like I know what your intent is in that. And but also like this isn't just from Bob's head, everyone, like you have to understand, like now there's some nuance of obviously trying to understand some of this, but there's these verses that say things like what Isaiah 59, two says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear Psalm 55, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear Psalm 66, 17, I cried unto him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity, which is sin, just people, iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, but verily God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. And so there you see that, like, this is how God is saying he acts. He also then is gracious to Mm -hmm. us, even in the midst of that, which is so beautiful, but that there are these areas of of disobedience or pride or whatever in our life that, that can result in this. God's not responding to our prayers. So I, I just even wanted to like, <laughs> just say that stuff right for on. you even of just, so okay, here is, this isn't just you, you're not making this stuff up. And now we're trying to understand verses like that in light of, of, of Christ and in light of his grace and in light of how do we live? Like, and, and even, cause I think then at least where my head goes to is okay. I need a few things to be defined for me. Like what is blessing? <laughs> you know, what does blessing mean? Like if God won't bless me or God will bless me, is that only financially or is that in other ways? Like, I don't know. How do you sort of process well, some of in that? This, in the passage that we were working from in Malachi three, mm-hmm. um, it was about the hearts of the people 
Hmm. But the hearts of the people were measured based on their financial performance. Hmm. Uh, God always wants our hearts. But the claim that God has my heart, but he doesn't have my wallet, is a claim that um, doesn't reflect the truth of Scripture, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Yeah. I want to just be really careful to take God at his word and recognize that uh, anything that he's made clear to me, I want to be faithful to the degree that I understand it, to be as obedient as I can possibly be, even if it's at the cost of my self-security or my self-confidence, um, uh, my, my uh, assurance that I'm going to have what I need tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I hate the manna story. I hate <laughs> the whole idea that it's just one oh, day yeah. at a time and I got to trust him for tomorrow and then for the next tomorrow and it, the next tomorrow. I It rots that. if you collect more, that whole oh, thing. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> God's promise is just enough just in time and my desire is all that I need for the rest of my lifetime right now. Build more storehouses. Sure. <laughs> well, I have to fight my human tendency to yeah. know that trusting God is going to make me a fool in the eyes of a world that says, yeah. why did you do that? Yeah. You didn't have to do that. Why mm-hmm. did you do that? Mm-hmm. And so um, God keeps invading our reality in terms of the practicum of show me that you really do believe what you say you believe. Mm-hmm. And here's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even like, so how does that tie into, let's say, fruit of the spirit, which would be an indicator of uh, like an indi- like sort of New Testament, some New Testament indicators of the heart. Right. But this would probably fall under faithfulness, self-control. Yeah. Some, some sure. of that. Right. Or expressing love to God with our giving. I'm trying to think. The fruits of the spirit are uh, clearly um, elements of personal uh, spiritual strength mm-hmm. that will manifest through the rest of my life. I don't expect from a toddler what I expect from an adolescent. I don't expect from an adolescent what I expect from a young adult. Mm-hmm. I don't expect from an, a young adult what I expect from a mature man or woman. Yeah. So the expectation as we mature into the fruits of the spirit, um, the expectation should rise with it. For us to say that we are now full grown in terms of the fruits of the spirit, but what manifests through me is what you would expect from an adolescent or a toddler. Mm -hmm. I better go back and challenge what I think is my mark of maturity. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm as mature as I I say I am, I mean, the the religious leaders of Jesus' day believed that they had the superior maturity of the whole Jewish population, and they Mm -hmm. demanded respect based on their deep religious maturity. And Jesus challenged that and mm-hmm. showed it to be empty because they were straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. They were um, disingenuous in terms of their own self-assessment of how far along they really are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can't, to that end, you can't just give and think, then I can ignore the weightier matters of the law, as no, Jesus said, right? The, yeah. We don't tip God in the sense, right? Yeah, yeah, no, or and, pay him off. <laughs> but, but you also have the risk of Jesus, you know, said early on, um, two guys at the temple to pray. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a Pharisee who says, I tithe off the mm-hmm. pennies in my pocket. And I'm, and thank you, God, that I'm not like this miserable bum standing next to me. And the miserable bum next to him said, God, have mercy mercy on me, a sinner. Mm -hmm. 
And Jesus says, the tithing Pharisee goes home unreconciled to God and the the worthless guy who recognized his lack of um, any claim on God went home with a abundant um, affirmation by God. So mm-hmm. this is not just about, you know, how big was your check and yeah. can your accountant prove yeah. that it was a tithe? How do you process through the other questions? You know, just when I, these are sort of <laughs> my questions, but also like the skeptics questions, I think with some of this stuff is, mm-hmm. or, or just the concerned listener. How do I, how do I process through why do the wicked prosper? Um, so rich people, let's say, you know, if, if we're saying as we give, mm-hmm. God will, you know, will bless you in that way. Why do and other, maybe the why are other even, people blessed? The question behind that or attached to that too is: Does that mean God favors them, or they're doing even though they're wicked, mm-hmm. God's blessing them, but not blessing someone who's more faithful? Mm-hmm. We're in confl- we're on a conflicted battlefield where there are people who represent the God of this world alongside the people who represent the God of eternity, and the God of this world has um, capacity uh, in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, all these things are under my control and I'll give them to you if you do what I tell you to do. Mm -hmm. And that offer wasn't just made to Jesus, it was made to Bill Gates. Hmm. Um, And I say Bill Gates because he's a man who has no recognition, no no, uh, honest um, expression of faith in the existence of God or in the provision made through the Lord Jesus, his son. And even in his um, celebrated philanthropy has been uh, exposed as a man with um, some pretty serious uh, character flaws Mm -hmm. in the recent days. Um, The God of this world is able to distribute resources to people he knows he can trust to advance his purposes. The God of eternity entrusts resources to people whom he knows that he can trust to advance his purposes. Mm-hmm. And so um, anybody with extraordinary resources is more likely a, a validation of the existence of the in, invisible eternal battle than they know. Mm-hmm. Rich people who deny God um, can't take full credit for their resources. The God of this world is still making the promise that he made to Jesus but these are people who said yes to it. Jesus said no. So, you know, I don't have hmm. a hard time yeah. with that um, because yeah. um, the, you know, the Nazis had a lot of uh, firepower, but so did the allies. Um, both sides have firepower. God has firepower, so the evil one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's important to remember, I think, for people to understand that that, that the enemy does have the ability to quote unquote bless mm-hmm. right in that mm-hmm. way for yeah for him and there's this haunting passage in Ephesians where Paul writes the wrath of God falls on the sons of disobedience therefore don't be partners with them I see that manifested in Lot's life where Peter writes his righteous soul was vexed day by day by the unscrupulous acts of um uh, the fallen men around him uh, and his family paid the price. Mm-hmm. Um, he partnered with the the uh, sons of disobedience when he decided to live in Sodom rather than to be in the wilderness where Abraham was because he could 
not be compromised by living apart from the temptations that Lot had accepted as the price of the neighborhood. Hmm. So there are times when we throw our lot with people who don't share our faith um, loyalties and we get sucked along with them. Uh, The wrath of God is going to fall on things that he doesn't uh, endorse or um, support. And if I put myself in close proximity to those places, don't blame God. Uh, Lot, don't blame God if you lost the equity in your home in Sodom because that judgment was going to come. You saw the mm-hmm. way they lived mm-hmm. and you knew that it was only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And no matter what, this is all only a matter of time Yes, <laughs> at some level, right? right. At, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Even, Go ahead. So another question too, when it comes to blessings and we, we talk about generosity and then God blesses generosity, I think a lot of us, our mind immediately goes to immediate um, gratification or immediate blessings. And so right. we live in a microwave culture, right? We get frustrated. I think about like AOL, how the whole dial up would take like a minute to connect. And now we get frustrated if a, a video won't stream in five mm-hmm. seconds. And so we are a culture of people, even as believers in Christ who are set apart, who want things right away. And so can you even talk through the idea of sometimes being generous doesn't mean just, I mean, I think immediate blessings are just joy and freedom from being tied and and serving God as our, as our serving money as our God, but there's long-term blessing really. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not a question statement, but how would you comment on that? Um, you answered your own question. Uh, <laughs> let me affirm your answer. Um, the only place I can make a, a sacrifice is in this lifetime. The greatest place to get a response from God about that is in the next lifetime. If I get it now, um, it isn't mine yet. The, Luke 16 passage where uh, Jesus unpacks the story of the um, unjust steward, the the manager who is um, taking advantage of the his master by giving away his money before he loses his job. There are a couple of verses that just blow your mind when Jesus says that what you do with temporary money is going to determine how much eternal money you have. And if you think it's yours now, um, you're going to be damaged in terms of what you do long term because right now it's not yours, but what you do with it right now will be determined how much you have that is really yours later. Um, And the only way to um, change your money into the new currency is by turning money into people because the people become the new value on the other side. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when the money fails, your friends will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Um, that is a truth that I find is shocking, confrontational, and informative at the same time. Because down here, we think it's ours. And we think that in eternity, it's all God's, that there's private property now and there's um, it's all God-owned um, later. Well, according to God in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, while we're here, it's not ours, it's his. But when we arrive on the other side, private property becomes the, um, the design of his kingdom. And... Everyone will have a different amount 
of private property on the other side based on what they did with what they were entrusted with here. Um, that is a revolutionary concept. And for the Jews in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, everything was about obey today and have the consequences tomorrow. But in the New Covenant, obey today and have the consequences in eternity. Blessed are you when men revile you, forsake you, and do all manner of evil against you falsely for my namesake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So the new covenant offers um, a demand for even more faith than the old covenant did. The old covenant had a a very close uh, cause and effect proximity. Do it right today, and you get benefit tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Today... God's reset the eternal clock and said, do it right today. You get the benefit in eternity. You have to have more trust, more faith to believe and act on that. Yeah. And that's where, cause this gets like, where people are just like, what are you crazy? Like, what are you saying? Right? Like, how is this, how is this possible? Because you would have this sense of, oh, wait, no, everything's got to be perfectly equitable in heaven. But then you're, you're reading things and it doesn't say, it doesn't say, and just confess your sins and trust in Jesus and everyone's reward is exactly the same in heaven. It has some behavior attached to that. It actually does have for great is your reward in heaven. Now I also sort of like, I don't know how that's going to work or what that's going to exactly look like. I don't, I think you could have some conjecture, but I don't think anybody has certainty on what that looks like. But like, I don't think there's going to be, because there's not sin. It's not like there's somebody lording over you saying like, ah, I got a news. bigger house. Huh, huh. Yeah. You know, my private property's more. Here's, here's the two. No envy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jealousy. The two great things. You're on it, Matt. No envy, number one. Yeah. And number two, all of us are going to be a great peace because God has been fair. Yeah. Galatians or uh, Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and mm-hmm. labor, which you performed mm-hmm. and continue to perform for the saints. So the justice of God it demands that it not be even. It's the the debate of today: is it equality or is it equity? Mm-hmm. It's equality in terms of equal opportunity. It's not equity in terms of we all get the same. I mean, right. I said the first word out of any child's mouth is mine, and the <laughs> next, the first full phrase that they say is it's not fair. <laughs> well, yeah. um, here's the news on the other side. Each of us is going to look at the outcome of the judgment seat of Christ and say it was exactly fair. Hmm. Even though 1 Corinthians 3 says, building on the foundation of faith, your life now emerges based on your effort. And by his description, gold, silver, and precious stones are wood, hay, and straw. How do we know what we did? Well, the day will declare it. It will be judged by fire. And the fire will test the quality of your work. If it burns up, you suffer loss, you're saved. But as through fire, if it, re- if it survives, you receive a reward. So all of a sudden, there's this binary possibility of a life burned up because it was temporal value, still saved, but suffer loss. Well, well loss of what? Not loss of salvation. It's loss of reward. Hmm. So... You know, frankly, too often we've read past the reality of the consequential nature of our lifetimes after salvation comes as an act of grace through faith, 
we are now all equal in terms of opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we're not equal in terms of obedience and um, faith-based sacrifice. Right, right. At that stage, God is fair, but his fairness demands. I mean, I heard it a hundred times if I heard it once. Are you telling me that if Charles Manson, the night before his death, accepted Jesus, he'd be in heaven just like you? Gosh, my early uninformed evangelical days, I said yes, and then I'm thinking to myself, and they would say, do you think that's fair? And I'd say to myself, no, it's not fair. (laughs) But what's the answer to that? Well, the answer to that is in the scriptures, that um, the thief on the cross was just as saved as anybody, the Apostle Paul, just as saved as the Apostle Paul. But who's going to have more rewards when they get to the other side? Hmm. The Apostle Paul, who said, I... I discipline my body to bring it under subjection so that having preached to others, I myself don't become disqualified and lose the prize. He wasn't worried about losing his salvation. He was worried about losing his reward. Hmm. If it is, if I prove myself to be unworthy before I finish, I will have lost everything I've worked all of these years to gain. Hmm. So is it an, an unspiritual thing to serve God, believing that sacrifice today will benefit me tomorrow? According to the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus, um, absolutely not. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and now sits at the right hand of his Father in heaven where there are, according to Psalm 16, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Mm-hmm. Boy, the epicenter of pleasure in the universe is not Las Vegas. It's the right hand of God where Jesus sits. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I don't know if there's other things that you want to address, but I mean, we're an hour in. You can see why this topic, like... <laughs> yeah, we have 30 no more, 39 more hours to go. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. This is such a, as you you were talking about time on that Sunday a couple weeks ago, <laughs> where, yeah, it's time is, is uh, it's, a big, it's a big topic. and But I think this has been a really rich... Uh, conversation about this. I think it should be very, very helpful for people that, yeah, to, to take a, <laughs> to take something that was said in a few minutes on a Sunday and unpack it for at least a half, like a half hour, the second half of this, we kind of just talked about that one sort of one line in mm-hmm. one area. And so you can see where, oh yeah, the nuance of it is, is complex and, and rich and deep. And so I, I think this has been a good way for people to kind of understand this a little bit more. And I hope that if you're listening to this, that you are challenged by it to see how should I respond. So, and I think what like, kind of like in my conversation with Michael Wells, respond, this, this response isn't that complex. <laughs> it's respond with obedience, right? Mm-hmm. It's take a step towards actually doing it. And, and I love what you shared even on Sunday of, of saying how, this isn't just about like as a, as a non paid staff person at the church, you're not getting up there to say, give us more money. That's not the point necessarily. The point is give to God. That would be giving to your church. That would be giving to um, ministries that are doing the kingdom work that aren't that aren't at this church. That would be sharing with those in need in your life that you see that you can respond in generosity to. That could be um, whether that's your, you know, like Joan and I have talked a lot about picking up the tab. Uh, <laughs> still, I'm still waiting for that. By yeah, the way, he's Eric. still waiting. I know he's still waiting and uh, eventually it'll happen. Hmm. Um, 
<laughs> um, but, uh, you know, just that kind of stuff where it's, it's, it's also just living a generous lifestyle, um, and, and so much more, but, and then, and then in, on top of that, it is also, um, talent and, and time. Mm-hmm. And so it's all of this that we're talking about, but it's taking that step and it does part of that does in, include and should primarily be your church. And so that's why we think this is how God is calling you to respond. Um, so I don't know. Any other last kind of thoughts from either of you guys? Don's got nothing. Okay, Bob, just kidding. <laughs> well, I was just going to say is that I think for me, what's really hitting me is, um, the sacrifice and yeah. none of us are off the hook or have an out in that. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's for the elementary kid to the, yeah. the senior, as far as we each have a calling to obey to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let me say this too. Um, Money is not a once a year subject for church mm-hmm. where we have stewardship Sunday, where we get pledges for next year. Money is we live, we breathe, we transact, we trade our lives for money. If God hasn't informed our view of money and reset what we expect hmm. from it, with it, um, about it, um, we've allowed the God of this world and mammon, whom I mentioned mm-hmm. as the alternative mm-hmm. worship option that um, has conflicted the 21st century American church community. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got this. This isn't a message. This is a conversation. Mm-hmm. And by that, it means we need to keep talking about it because we're going to keep hearing about it from the other side. Mm-hmm. God deserves um, not just equal time, God deserves the prime time in our thinking about this subject. Yeah, He's got a lot to say about it. And I just will tell you, God's allowed me to become uh, close to um, and involved in the lives of people whose um, support of his kingdom is just off the charts. And I'll tell you, they are the most... Um, energized and um, fulfilling um, people that I have ever met. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, whatever we call sacrifice here um, is quickly replaced with a sense of um, a massively leveraged opportunity for being involved in what God's doing in our day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the most fulfilling life you can have this side of heaven. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And I've experienced this myself. Like I remember making, feeling in some sort of financial stress. And it was during when we were doing the whole uh, the restoration project and stuff like that. And had and, and B and I talked and prayed and made a, a pledge that was a, that was a stretch for us. That was mm-hmm. stretching. And I remember before that, before giving, I was so... I was so stressed about money and it was the strangest feeling. And I think this is actually God's blessing where once I gave it, I actually felt a relief of the stress. Mm -hmm. It was when I was holding it that I Mm -hmm. felt the stress. Mm -hmm. But as I gave, I felt that, that just that feeling, that anxiety that you have when you have financial stress in your life. Mm -hmm. I felt that just kind of like just wash off. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, for me, that was an example of a non-financial blessing that came with a financial gift. Mm-hmm. And 
I, and that's what we want for all of you. We want you to experience that freedom. We want you to experience that joy. that joy that that obedience brings, right? In any the of mental these image. This is not gold bars. Uh, these are hot potatoes. <laughs> I love it. That's so, so good. good. And that's really good. Actually. When it's in my hands, um, man, if I treat that hot potato like a gold bar, I'm going to be um, shown to be uh, ignorant and mm-hmm. and get burned. And get burned. <laughs> exactly. Sooner I can get rid of it for something that will become a gold bar someday. Yeah. Yep. Better, better I can be. There well, you I'm go. That. Can we go get fries right now? <laughs> That's good. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. We'll keep talking about it. As Bob said, it's an ongoing conversation, and it really is. So thanks for being a part of this, Bob. We appreciate you. Appreciate you just being willing to to yes. talk this out. I feel like we've really seen your, like been able to hear your heart today and just Thanks. appreciate that so much. Love you, brother. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Matt. I'm not sure for what, but you know, Hey, we we'll also appreciate you. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> all right. And, uh, thank you all for listening to the Calvary life podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Calvary life podcast. If you'd like to share any of your thoughts, please reach out to us at podcast at calvarylife.org. You can find out more about the show on Instagram at Calvary Life or on our website at calvarylife.org slash podcast.